is um, the time of the year when Ajahn Jumian has been visiting Spirit Rock for the past, my gosh, years. And he's a Thai forest monk, a pretty remarkable guy. When Jack Cornfield wrote a book uh, some years ago called Living Dharma, it was um, an account of the lives of uh, teachers who were teaching Dharma at the time. There were about a dozen or so people. And um, Ashan Jumian was one of them, and he's now, I think, the only one who's left living. And uh, so Jack has changed the title of his book to Living Dharma instead of Living Dharma Masters. Uh, but Ajahn Jumian is ill this year and isn't visiting. I've been thinking about him. Um, I used to, I, I've really enjoyed spending time with him. One of the things that, uh, one of the images that stands out so strongly for me and that um, I've recalled frequently is his image about uh, desire being for us like the flame for the moth. For the moth, only the flame is light. Everything else is dark. And for us, the object of desire is all we see when we're in the thrall of desire. Um, and it's a really powerful metaphor. There's a, uh, and, and of course, being lost in desires, you know, we're, we're, we know that's not good for us. <laughs> There's a, um, a passage from the Itavudika that uh, I've come across, came across recently, where, um, but I'll, I'll just read because it's it's um, it's a simile that that uh, illustrates that not good quality of being in the thrall of the light of the of the uh, of course for the moth goes right for the light and that's it for the for the for the moth and we're sort of in the same spot. This was said by the Blessed One, so I have heard. Suppose a man was being carried along by the flow of a river, lovely and alluring. And then another man with good eyesight standing on the bank on seeing him would say, My good man, even though you are being carried along by the flow of a river, lovely and alluring, further down from here is a pool with waves and whirlpools and monsters and demons. On reaching that pool, you will suffer death or death-like pain. Then the first man, on hearing the words of the second, would make an effort with his hands and feet to go against the flow. The Buddha said, I've given you this simile to illustrate a meaning. The meaning is this, the flow of the river stands for craving, for desire. Lovely and alluring stands for the six internal sense media, the sense, uh, the sense bases. The waves stand for anger and distress. And against the flow stands for renunciation. Making an effort with hands and feet stands for the arousing of persistence. The man with good eyesight stands for the, standing on the bank stands for the Buddha worthy and rightly self-awakened. Basically, downstream from desire, same with the moth and the flame. It's bad news when you hit that flame or when you get downstream into the rapids. And the idea is, is you know, the, the idea of renunciation here, going against the flow, 
against the flow of what our normal response would be. In the, in the stories about the Buddha and his life, there are a lot of little anecdotes about things that, that, that occurred. And, and one of my very favorites is about the uh, uh, quarrel that, that occurred at, at Kosambi. And I like this because often the discussion of desire and renunciation is pretty abstract and um, sometimes hard to apply or understand or relate to in the context of our social interactions with other people. The situation at Kosambi was this. There was a, uh, it was a, it was, there was a large sangha at the time and there was a, a master or a leader or an expert on the, on the discipline and, and on the vinaya and an, and an expert on the discourses. And one of them, I think the expert on the, the uh, discourses, went into the latrine one day and left, leaving a bowl full of water in the, in the latrine. And, and the, the master of the vinaya of the discipline said, that's an offense, you need to... Uh, confessed that it was an offense and the other guy said oh, it's not an offense big deal it was an offense it wasn't an offense and it wasn't long before the other monks had chosen up sides had a big split in the sangha and the, and the, you know, they, they came to the Buddha and they said uh, you know this is We're fighting over this stuff, and the Buddha said, "You know, these misguided men—they're obsessed." He said, "Cool it." And he said, "Don't worry your pretty enlightened little head about this. We'll take care of it." But of course, they didn't, and the the squabbling got worse and worse. So finally, the Buddha split, and and he went off. And to get to the end of the story first, the. Uh, the people in the in the in the town who were they were dependent on for their alms for for their daily thieving, they said, "Hey, okay, you guys, you guys ran the Buddha off with all this fighting. <laughs> so you know, clean up your act." So they they had to clean up their act. In the meantime, the Buddha went to visit um, with Anuruddha, who was his cousin, and um, was living with with three other monks at the time. And when the Buddha arrived at Anuruddha's, uh, where Anuruddha was living, he said, he, they sat down and, and uh, he said, I hope that you are living, that you all live in accord, Anuruddha, as friendly and undisputing as milk with water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. It's a pretty interesting standard. Do we live as undisputing as milk with water with those we share our lives with. Surely we do, Lord. But, Anuruddha, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> Sounds so simple, but how do you do it? The Venerable Anuruddha replied, Lord, as to that, I think that it's a gain and good fortune for me here that I'm living with such companions in the holy life. I maintain acts and words and thoughts of loving kindness toward these venerable ones, both in public and in private. And I think, why should I not set aside what I am minded to do 
and do only what they are minded to do. And I act accordingly. We are different in body, Lord, but only one in mind, I think. Why should I not do, why should I not set aside what I am minded to do and do only what they are minded to do? That's setting the bar pretty high in terms of letting go of that desire, which is what we want, which is the flame, which is downstream. It's the rapids and the monsters, because that's where it takes us. A woman in my song the other night was talking about how she'd gotten so angry at her two-year-old son because she wanted to go swimming and her son didn't want to take his nap. And it was what she wanted to do and what he wanted to do. It's the kind of thing that leads, that leads to uh, suffering for us and for others. I listened to um, that, that, that focus on what we want, that flame. I was listening to uh, an NPR uh, story recent holidays in December and Talk of the Nation and they did a story on it was a it was a, an hour long thing on the family dinner and they had a panel of experts they had the psychologist and they had the Miss Manners or whoever they had, you know all the people and, and the, the theme was everybody's going to get together for a holiday dinner and it's going to be hell <laughs> And how do we manage it? And, you know, people were calling up and they were saying, every time I, my mother-in-law says, how come you're not pregnant? And my father says, why don't you have a job yet? And, you know, I mean, it's just that, that kind of stuff. And these people were, were, the experts were giving advice on how to deflect this and how to uh, respond to that. And people were saying, oh, should I confront my, you know, my sister-in-law over, you know, and con, con- and about two-thirds of the way through, I realized none of these experts were even suggesting that anybody consider not being the obnoxious one at the table, not being the SOB yourself. That wasn't, nobody was suggesting that. There was all the, you know, the, the culture is set up. We're encouraged to be empowered to fight for our beliefs and stand up for what's right and, you know, and confront the... And the standard that the Buddha has is, or that Anuruddha suggested, was to set aside what we want and do what what the others want. It's almost amazing to even think about how we could live with that. Somebody once asked me, how do you, how do you deal with, with, you know, when somebody comes at you and is just talking and talking and talking and they won't stop and they keep going on and, and you just want to get away. And, you, and I thought, well, you know, in those situations, my strategy is to just wait them out. <laughs> They'll eventually move on to something else. But the tendency is to want to tell them, let them know where they're going wrong, let them know, tell them what I want. 
abandoning that desire to do what I want to do is tough and it may not be appropriate in all in all circumstances but as a form of practice I was looking at the uh, inquiring mind out there this morning and there's uh, an interview with Ajahn Amaro in it and the pull quote at the at the beginning of the piece Ajahn Amaro says you you can't really understand uh, sex money and power until you do without or resolve to do without and then you see just what the tug is of those things and what the power is and it's it may be difficult to imagine the power of what I want to do until you as a form of practice as as to explore the possibility of setting that aside and seeing what happens seeing just what that power is of that what I want to do so it might be something to consider to explore and to see whether releasing those kinds of compulsions might let us see the power of them and give us a peace from them so help might be a way to um, help us grow in wisdom and in peace at the same time so I just love that story of Kosambi and I reflect on it often and I wanted to offer it to you guys <laughs>